0: Hello again, my lovely spinners, and welcome to my podcast, Spinning a Yarn at the Spinning Barn, where I hope to inspire your love of hand spinning and all things woolly. So I really hope that November has been a good month for you. It's been very quiet here on the hand spinning workshop front again, thanks to the ongoing pandemic, but it seems the vaccine is getting ever closer. So there is light at the end of this very long tunnel. Oh, I do hope so. But I've been using the time that it has presented to concentrate on other aspects of the business, really. Um, And I was so happy that having spent hours and hours preparing my Festive Fiber Experience gift boxes, that they all sold really quickly. So I do hope that the lucky recipients enjoy their surprises over the 12 days of Christmas. That's something to look forward to, isn't it? And the drop spindle kits, they've also been selling really well. And this has shown me even more that I really do need to concentrate on developing other opportunities for my business. So again, I've got lots of plans and things are beginning to happen. Um, And it has, it's it's been a struggle. I've told you that before, but I'm coming through this actually. And I can see that there are so many other things that I can do rather than just concentrating on the workshops, even though that is where my heart lies. That's what I love most of all, isn't it? But you know, it's time to move with the times and even at um, my rub age, I'm sure I can do that. Anyway, so November was also renamed Wovember again. Um, and this is an annual um, initiative to help us promote the use of real wool from sheep <laughs> in our lives. And I had great fun creating a post each day and it really made me think every morning about how to interpret the prompts that had been provided. And it certainly kept the grey cells working. And I hope you all saw and enjoyed the posts. And more importantly, that they may have encouraged you to consider the fibres that you may be using to spin or to weave or to or whatever you're doing. And I'm sure I'm preaching to the converted here, but you know that I really believe in promoting sheep and farming. Um, so hopefully I've done my bit and I'm sure that you are also spreading the word out there so that we could all do our little bit just to you know, really help this part of our British heritage. It's so important, isn't it? And I am thrilled to say that my downloadable workshop course, entitled Your Hand Spinning Success, is almost ready to be released to the world at long last. And I'm actually sitting here crossing my fingers as I'm saying this. (laughs) Uh, Final bits coming together this weekend. Um, And it really has been a struggle. And I've lost count of the amount of times that we've filmed and refilmed and tears I've shed and cups I've thrown and I just wasn't happy with it poor James he's taken a bit of the brunt of it I'm afraid but you know he's there he's my rock isn't he and I really hope that whoever uses the course will feel like they are here with me at the barn and again I've given the opportunity in this for anybody who's taking the course to actually contact me personally for further advice and support because those of you that are already spinners or any craft that we undertake you know that. It's about how it feels, isn't it? So that's really difficult, I think, to convey virtually, although I've done my very best to do so. I've tried to keep it just as I would do a normal workshop, you know, with an in-person workshop. Um, But again, sometimes if anybody has a particular question about their particular problem with their spinning, then I need to be here to help them. I don't want anybody out there struggling on their own. I don't want that to change at all. Now, also back in the early summer, if you remember those lovely warm days, <coughs> excuse me, I was contacted by a lady in America who was in need of some North Ronaldsey wool to complete her rare breed blanket. And what do I keep? Yeah, North Ronaldsey. So off my little parcel went to Minneapolis eventually, as this was actually during the times of the terrible riots they were having there and the postal services weren't actually working as they should have been at the time. And from this, I met, obviously virtually, a lady by the name of Giovanna Franey, who is an archaeometallurgist. I think I've got that right, specializing in experimental archeology. span And she has an interest in all things spinning, both as a hobby herself and also from a historical perspective. So I thought that you would all like to hear about her life and some historical facts that I found fascinating. Actually, you will hear me saying that's fascinating a lot in the chat, but you know, it really was. I could talk to her all day. In fact, we nearly did. We had two very long meetings uh, via Zoom. Um, Again, we had some technical issues, so it did go on a bit. Um, So I've had to heavily edit them for you into one. And amazingly, although she lives in America and she travels all over Europe particularly with her um, with her work, um, she also works at the archaeological site here at Sedgford which is just a few miles from where I live in Norfolk. So we chatted about that and I'm determined to visit there next year. Now it is a fairly long list, and I think it's about 20 minutes but that's perfect if you're out on a walk with the doggies or just taking some me time with some extra bickies and another cup of tea. I really hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. And once again, spinning has presented another new friend to my spinny world. So I would love to thank Giovanna for her time. I really did appreciate it and I know that we're going to keep in touch. And if you hear a cat meowing, by the way, it's not mine. It belongs to Giovanna's neighbor who was, it was trying to get in the door, I think. <laughs> but at the time I didn't think it was my cat, but it wasn't, it was hers. So, may I wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. It's been a difficult year for 2020, hasn't it? Obviously, and I hope that Santa brings you all that you've wished for and that 2021 brings us all happiness and health. I should be back in January to start a whole fresh year, and I'm so looking forward to that already. So, take care, and I'm sending my love to you all, and bye for now ta
1: Well, my name is uh, Giovanna Freni, And uh, I lived in England uh, when I did my master's and my PhD at the University of Sheffield. And I spe- specialized in archaeological metals. And during that time, my housemate was a woman from Canada who was a textile archaeologist. And it's kind of her fault that I, I, you know, I had always crocheted and did things like that. Uh, my grandmother taught me when I, when I was little, so I knew uh, the craft end of it, and the, uh, you know, you go to the store, you buy some yarn, and you make something. And then uh, Morgan did this. Uh, Morgan Smith was her name. She did this brilliant. Uh, Master's paper on uh, textile tools in Anglo-Saxon burials, and so I was finding out all about uh, drop spinning and uh, you know the, the various things people used in uh, prehistory and uh, early medieval, you know, kind of like the beginning of uh, recorded history for uh, textiles and things, and. Uh, Also, uh, I volunteered at a a little urban farm, Uh, Healy City Farm. was in the middle of uh, Sheffield. It was land that had been designated to build a a throughway, and the neighborhood protested it. and the The houses houses had been bought up and just you know neglected, so they had to be torn down, and the city. Said, okay well we won't put the throughway through we'll build a high-rise and the local people who fought against that said no nope, we want the land for ourselves and so they built this little farm uh, with an energy center to teach people about alternative energy and uh, they grow fruit and vegetables there and uh, the University built a roundhouse there and so I would go there help build with the brown house and I also did some bronze casting and next to me was a field of soe sheep
0: <laughs> I could feel and, the two coming together
1: <laughs> yeah I just love the little guys yeah. and then uh, you know started collecting the wool because they shed their wool they they don't have to be sheared that's so. right mm-hmm you know, you can just go in the field and pick it up, or if they're friendly enough, you can just pull a little bit off their back and- uh, And off you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can commence spinning right there, even, even it's not very greasy wool.
0: No, it isn't, it isn't. And then that that's how sheep, you know, would have been historically, isn't it? It's only the fact that, that we have actually changed them along the way over the years, isn't it? That means they now require shearing. Uh, my sheep, my Ronaldsies, they will, you can rue them so you just put your fingers underneath the the fleece and just basically roll it off them it's amazing i don't because i don't really have time (laughs) i get the shearer and he's done them all in 20 minutes you know (laughs) but yeah definitely possible yeah so what came first for you then the craft or your interest in in the archaeology in the first place uh
1: well the craft and whenever you're doing a craft, uh, metalsmithing, spinning, Uh, once you get to a certain level, you know how your, uh, your hands start doing all the work. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, the tools just have a mind of their own. Uh, It's like you're just there for the ride. Yeah, absolutely. So it gives you a lot of time to think and you think about, well, where did this start? Yeah you know, uh, who was the first, first person to pick this up and try it out? Oh, exactly. And so it's, it's that sort of thing where I just wanted to go right back to the beginning. You yeah, know. yeah.
0: And I've got a, a great wheel, a walking wheel, and it's got a date stamp of 1830, a date stamp, it's carved, <laughs> 1834. <laughs> and I just think, just think of the people that have used that and all the stories that they could tell. And I want to know, was it used by somebody you know, because they had to work at it and they had to produce that wool? Or was it somebody like me that rather likes wool and likes doesn't really like knitting? I don't know. <laughs> but how do we know? You know? How do we know what, yeah. what came
1: before? I think
0: that's fascinating. Although
1: 1834 is kind of late for a, a great wheel, isn't it? Yeah, it is actually, yes. It's obviously a, it's obviously a later model. <laughs> yeah, so it might've been, uh... I think at that point, a lot of the spinning wheels were more for pleasure rather than industry.
0: That's true. That's
1: by that time, you know, you had all the industry going with the huge mills like in Bradford.
0: Well, that's good. That comforts me to think that it's probably been used by somebody that loved their craft as well then.
1: Yeah, yeah probably <laughs> yeah. somebody you know, like you with their little flock of sheep. And, Absolutely. Uh,
0: Yes, yeah, so one thing, as I said that really intrigues me is when we look at, um, at burial mounds and burial sites and we find tools, etc., and you know remnants of fibers and fabrics left over, how do we know why they're there? <laughs> because I've heard that it's in preparation for another life, so you can take your work with you or is it just that it indicated what that person would have done and from an archaeological point of view how do we know that
1: well, that's uh, one of the things uh, that morgan's uh, dissertation was about because not all burials had uh, had uh, uh, fiber tools in them and there was different statuses uh, you can tell by the the direction of the grave, or if it's buried, kind of in line with others, and so, so she started looking at these exceptional burials and what was in them, and also where the uh, the textile tools were. Uh, people didn't have the roles that we've assigned to them. I think we so,
0: assumed, don't we, that the men didn't didn't do any of the fiber arts so didn't didn't do the fiber preparation. They didn't do the spinning. What, or is that not correct? Did that were they actually involved in the process as well?
1: Well, we don't know.
0: We don't know, no.
1: We've been working on assumptions that Mm. uh, uh, crafts were gendered. And a lot of that is breaking down now. Uh, One of the things that when I was doing my uh, master's and PhD, I realized that this whole idea of the guy doing the metalworking and being kind of secretive about it and and you know, going off and producing metal and coming back and saying, "Woo, look what I did. (laughs) Uh, It just doesn't work. I mean, you know, it's difficult to do by yourself. Very difficult, especially when you think about how much charcoal you need. Mm -hmm. Uh, The supplies, Uh, you have to keep hand bellows going constantly because the temperature plummets when you stop. So if you're casting by yourself, you have to stop pumping the bellows you have to uncover the crucible lift it out pour it by that time it's cooled considerably so it's more logical that you had small teams of people mm. and uh, probably families working together yeah you that, know, the that's... youngest kids are sorting the charcoal and doing the the carrying and so you know keeping the supplies topped up and uh, as you progress through age you you have more complex tasks and i i think it would be the same for textiles too
0: you yeah know, it's probably a team it. effort isn't it to keep it to keep the, to keep the system actually going really yeah yeah and getting the job done
1: <laughs> yeah you send the youngest kids out to the fields to pick up all that bits of wool that uh, your sheep have been shedding and uh, maybe cleaning the bits of uh, grass and dirt and everything out of the wool, mm. and uh, advance along to spinning and stuff.
0: It's a fascinating thing, isn't it? Because a, we a lot so much of it, I think, relies on on guesswork, and I, I have to wonder are we are we putting our own values onto what we think may have happened? Because how mm. else can we can we, we have no
1: problems with thinking of um, sailors and fishermen uh making nets and doing textile work but we just don't call it that it's it's guys work it's not textile stuff is it that's true <laughs> <laughs> yeah when you when you start taking away the uh the veneer then you start to see well it it could uh, you can you can come up with different ideas yeah
0: actually I mean I was really really interested in what I read today I read your post about washing bones oh okay I loved it it just you know it gave me goosebumps because just the way that you were talking about how you how you respect the the person that that was and how you were so delicately handling those bones it was it was beautiful I really enjoyed that you know but it just made me think about um, you know, who these people are and, and what we can find out about them. But, but why are we still so intrigued by it? You know, because obviously I've seen so many pictures of you know, numerous um, craft, probably drop spindles, usually, you know, wind, spindle whirls, usually, isn't it? There's loads and loads of them, isn't there, that's found. Um, and what makes us so fascinated by it? And how do you think that can actually inspire us today? Is there
1: a link, do you think? Yeah, well, I think there is. Um, on one hand, we live in such a mechanized world, um, mm. and very few people actually do things like, you know, you know we live in a bubble, really. With, uh, you know, I know so many spinners and knitters and people who work in textiles and metalworking, and then I have to step back and think, this is a really small group here. Mm. Um, When I lived, you know, when I was an undergraduate uh, here in Minneapolis and was thinking about going to England for grad school, I thought, oh, wow, all these people who have been writing all these articles, I'm going to, you know, get to go to conferences and meet them all. And it's like I had this idea that there were tons of people and I I get to Sheffield and uh, go to the (laughs) first uh, conference and it's like, here they are, all fifty of them. Indeed, <laughs> <laughs> so that's the problem, uh, isn't it? There are uh, there are few, so few people who actually do this, and the rest of the world is is kind of curious and wondering, uh, and and they're fascinated by it. You know, when Definitely. you. Uh, I brought some friends of mine uh, they came to visit England and uh, we went off to York and I knew the, uh, the director for the um, antiquity scheme there and so we've you know I made a bit, you know arranged a visit and stuff and uh, there were some you know odd bits of Roman pottery and medieval pottery and it's something that I most of us in archaeology don't think twice about you know we've found so much of it and excavated it and putting it in the hands of my friends they were just like fascinated and and terrified of dropping this, this <laughs> bit of pottery that yeah. uh, you know it's like oh if you knew how many boxes we had of this <laughs> yeah. that reminds it, me my
0: grand, my grandchildren um or two of them three of them uh, they live with me and they're constantly digging trying to find ancient pottery um they'll, they'll find lots of pottery but it's not necessarily ancient <laughs> but even at such a young age they're fascinated by it
1: yeah you know it's well, amazing it's that, that an area where they could find uh find something like that or or a bronze for even who knows mm,
0: yeah well obviously when i where i live near Kings Inn is pot row which was the center of the pottery industry, which I understand it was okay. shipped to all over Scandinavia, etc., you know, thousands mm-hmm. of years ago. Um, so who knows what we might find. Fascinating, uh, you're you're couldn't not it?
1: so far from Stegford where they found the torque and that's uh,
0: right. That's yeah. what I was going to ask you about that. Yes, yeah. Because yeah. I was hoping to actually go to visit um, this year. The things I was going to do this year that have been cancelled, obviously. So yeah. What can, you, what can you tell me about what was found? What else has been found there? Because I know you did some metalworking there, didn't you?
1: Yeah. Well, every year there's there's an organization called Sharp, the Sedgeford Arche- uh, Historical and Archaeological Research Project. Yeah. And they've they're basically excavating an entire medieval um, Anglo-Saxon village. Wow. I mean, they they're their trenches so are about the size. Yeah, it's about half the size of a football pitch. Wow. It's like the whole village, and they they've found shops and houses, uh, tons of artifacts, and it's been going on for years. And they uh, it's a a training excavation. They have courses for beginning archaeology, uh, how to excavate. Uh, What they do is they have a little marquee set up and you have your classes there Mm -hmm. and then you go out into the field and you do your archaeology for the day. How fascinating. And uh, people live in tents out there. They've got a little tent city. For the duration, it goes on most of the summer, but you can sign up for a week or two weeks. And, uh, you know, they've got courses in osteology and uh, we started up... Um, Ellie Blakelock, who's another uh, archaeometallurgist, started up a uh, an archaeometallurgy and experimental archaeology course there, where we do uh, bronze casting and iron smelting.
0: I think I might have so, to book myself on.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. The, uh, uh, check me. out the website. And, and, you know, it's a... a an easy commute for you <laughs> it is isn't it it's fascinating
0: isn't it? that it's just on my doorstep but again you never quite know what's what's nearby do you we tend to yeah. look further afield and forget what's actually on our own doorstep
1: how old are your grandkids
0: uh, well i've got 10 of them
1: <laughs> oh,
0: okay. but the ones oh, the that one... live with me the ones that live with me they're uh, 10 9 and 7
1: okay i think they're too young to uh sign up for the excavation but they're you know they could come out and visit
0: and have a look yes that'd be fascinating how wonderful yeah so i'm thinking about the the spindle worlds obviously most of the people who to be listening to this are my my spinning community (laughs) so what differences have you found you know throughout the world of spindle worlds because they seem to be found Everywhere is there a difference in style or just a difference in the materials used or is that just dependent on the time frame or
1: Uh, It depends on the materials available Uh, Most of the uh, Most of them are remarkably the same little round things out of clay. Yeah Uh, I'm fascinated by the ones from northern Italy that are star-shaped It's the only place and it's only a short period of time, so it makes me wonder if it was one person or one family who were, who were making those, and then they, you know, for one reason or another, they stopped making them.
0: Yeah, because I think, um, because there are so many, and they all seem so similar, it just makes me wonder how people were traveling, um, and how how were we moving around at that point. But there to be such similarities throughout the world basically does that make sense
1: uh, yeah well then it's it's also Otherwise, how we all come up with the same idea <laughs> yeah <laughs> well it goes back so far uh you know people have been sewing since uh, you know the days of the neanderthals they they had needles and they had uh, uh, there's some sort of uh Uh, vegetable cord or maybe sinew that Mm -hmm. they were using to sew together clothes. And uh, when spinning started, uh, you you know, you have an optimal size for a weight for a spindle and a whorl. And I think, uh, you know, looking at, you know, my desk right behind where my laptop is, I have so many spindles, <laughs> yeah, right. and uh, you know, you've got one thing, uh, one thing going. And if if you're spinning in, say, uh, the Neolithic, the Bronze Age, you're gonna sp- fill a spindle and maybe two or three more, so you can ply them.
0: Mm.
1: So right there, you've got. Uh, three spindles that you can use and then bobbins and everything else so I think uh, you know you can use multiple you know you would have a need for multiple whorls uh, and spindles oh and and you'd want the whorls the same size because if you're going to apply the, uh, the yarn together you want something that's been made with a similar weight Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say I
0: suppose part of it might have been the experimentation with whatever it was They were spinning if it was a a vegetable fiber or or an animal fiber And just having a go and seeing what weight it actually needed, I suppose Are there major differences in the fibers that would have been used Worldwide have you have you been aware of any major differences say in the uk and in europe or Uh,
1: I haven't really studied uh studied uh, fiber um i know that you know sheep don't do very well in uh in very wet climates well very you know you know you, you see the sheep in in england uh, head for the higher ground when it's all boggy out that's true <laughs> uh, they they just don't like having wet feet and it no. can cause them problems and, you know, there are some areas where flax grows better than others.
0: Mm, yeah. So just really determined by the environment, really, isn't it? Yeah. I think that's that's such a wonderful thing, though, isn't it? Is just trying to maybe now that's what we should be doing is trying to get back to to using what is actually available to us rather than sourcing yeah. everything making making more of an opportunity i think of what we've actually got on our doorstep and i'm literally just thinking about i've got 12 acres of land here and probably about an acre of that is covered in stinging nettles so (laughs) i should be i should be spinning my nettles shouldn't i really
1: (laughs) oh nettles are great
0: i mean they make a, a great soup yes i yes i do eat them i do eat them i have tried to spin them um but I found the process um, quite tricky, quite time-consuming, and I'm slightly impatient. I think that's probably my downfall. Maybe yeah. I need to give a bit more effort.
1: Well, I mean, doing flax and nettles and everything—it's, you know, it's—it's it's not an easy process.
0: No, it's not. No, I really admire. I mean, I've, I've seen lots of works of people that have created the most incredible things You know, beautiful lacy shawls for example from nettle and it's absolutely incredible you would never believe i would have sworn that it was silk it just shows oh. us that we have this preconceived idea don't we of what it's going to be like but actually you can get something rather wonderful <laughs> righty-ho well absolutely lovely to see you again thank you so much yeah. for your time really oh, appreciate thank you. it it's
1: been a lot of fun